From the Geo Professional Business Association, this is COVID Concerns, a podcast dedicated to providing GBA members and friends timely industry advice and best practices from your peers in the geo professional industry. Things are changing quickly as we all learn more about the virus and its impacts to our industry. With that in mind, remember what you hear on our podcast is the opinion of the speaker and is not intended to be advice. Please do your own follow-up research and make sure to check our show notes for links, clarifications, and additional information. This is Episode 5 and has been sponsored by the Geoprofessional Business Association. This episode was recorded on May 22nd and includes audio from a town hall meeting that GBA organized and hosted. We hope you appreciate the valuable information that these speakers are about to share. Let's get started with today's town hall meeting. I'm Joel Carson, the Executive Director of the Geoprofessional Business Association, and it's my honor to facilitate our discussion today. As I've been talking with our members in the past couple of months, I've heard how challenging the coronavirus pandemic has been for geoprofessionals everywhere. There is no lack of information, but the challenge is how to apply the information in real life to geoprofessional firms. We're providing essential services while most of our employees are working from home. Now, as some states start to relax restrictions and reopen, there are new challenges. It's a dynamic business climate, and as leaders, we all need to stay on top of the changes that occur daily. GBA is hosting this call to facilitate dialogue among members to share lessons learned, best practices, and identify things to look for in the future. This is the culture of GBA, to share our experiences and learn from each other. And this is why we're holding these town hall meetings. This is the fifth in a series of conversations I've had with industry leaders who are willing to share their thoughts on a variety of crisis management topics. Today, we'll focus on what member firms are doing to prepare their workforce to return to the office. I want to start by introducing our panel of leaders. Our panelists today are Craig Hill, President and CEO at Earth Systems. Craig is joining us from his home in San Luis Obispo, California. June Jewell, she is a speaker, author, and business success expert. And she's joining us from her home in Reston, Virginia. Our third panelist is Mike Yost. He's the COVID task force leader for Terracon. Mike is joining us from his home in Olathe, Kansas. I'm dying to get started with our discussions today, so let's get started with the questions. Today, states, counties, and cities are reopening, often in a phased approach, but guidelines and schedules vary widely. Our members want to open safely and efficiently. Mike, in general, what is Terracon doing to prepare employees to return to the office? Our approach to this particular issue and from what we decided to do was to come up with a three-step plan, basically kind of a staged approach to, to looking at this. And the first step or the first stage is really more of a reflection of where our offices were at the time, and frankly, most of them still are. Um, you know, really more of a skeleton crew kind of a situation, 
um, but putting some specific um, parameters around if you're going to have people in the office, you know, to implement the wearing of masks, daily temperature taking protocols, contact tracing, and then continuing, of course, to re reinforce uh, social distancing things. So that was the first step uh, in, in an increase. The second step is, you know, kind of you envision more of the 25 to 50% of the people back in the building. Um, and in that situation, you know, it was, how do you reinforce social distancing principles when you start having more and more people coming back in the office? You know, so it had to think about things like, you know, staging and maybe, you know, split shifts of people in the lab, you know, maybe in the office area, those types of things, you know, possibly one way traffic, you know, just all of the things that come with having more of your folks in the building and even maybe re-engineering the workspace a little bit because perhaps in a location they don't have the desks or cubicles set up to be um, far enough away from that standpoint. So that's what the second step in the process was really more for that kind of a place. And then the third step uh, from a, you know, is really more of the back to normal kind of whenever that occurs. And you can imagine that's right now is the much, the, the least detailed of all of our steps is kind of that, that third step of, of really having the office kind of back to whatever normal was. But we felt it was important to get that plan out in our people's hands so they could see directionally where we were going with this. Uh, the one thing I'll point out is that, you know, yeah. first of all, senior management and our safety people have to review you moving from one step to the next step to the next step kind of a thing. So there's a, there's a, a process associated with that and a, and a screening depending on how, what the, you know, the COVID outbreak in your community is and your plan that they've come up with to meet all of the, you know, the safety things that we want. The other thing that I would point out that may be different than some is that we really didn't choose like a date and percent type of approach. Like by May 1st, we would be at 25% or May 31st, we would be at 50%. Really what's guiding us is just, we don't want people back in the building until they have to be back in the building. So our steps are really based on the business need of having people there um, and if you don't need people there and it's working just fine, which by and large it is, we're not pushing anyone into a larger step with more people. Um, and we're really going very slow as it relates to that, Joel. Great. That's, that's fairly valuable. I imagine it's a huge challenge for you with offices all across uh, in different jurisdictions across uh, North America. Craig, what is Earth Systems doing to prepare employees to return back to your offices? So our systems, uh, our, our offices are located all within California. Uh, so our concerns were uh, limited to the orders that we were um, receiving from the state of California versus the orders that we were receiving from uh, the local county and cities. And for our different office locations, we had um, we we chose to comply with the most strict of the orders, whether it be the state, the county, or the city. Um, it was it was uh, manageable due to the number of offices across the seven uh, different counties where our offices are located. 
So we're also preparing our workplaces ahead of time, ahead of reopening with various safety measures as recommended by CDC and OSHA. Uh, we also hold weekly meetings with our managing principals. Uh, we wanna better understand the dynamics of each region. And we're also encouraging our supervisors to stay in contact with their direct reports. Again, we're trying to keep the lines of communication open so that we understand uh, where our employees are at as well. Uh, we've also prepared two detailed documents um, to address our employees returning to work. One document is directed toward our managing principals uh, and called the guidelines to reopening offices. And the second document will be the instructions for reopening that will be issued to all employees. Uh, these documents provide uniformity and consistent messaging to our people. Uh, we're still of a size where our office principals can still reach out to uh, the various employees and to check with them and see how they're doing personally uh, and um, how they're feeling about coming back to the office. We're also trying to be flexible uh, in terms of uh, continuing uh, office telework to em employees for the COVID-19 related issues, uh, such as those that are at a higher risk and dependent care issues, uh, but not so much for avoiding the commute. Great, thanks Craig. So June, you've had the opportunity to talk with leaders from our member firms frequently and other A&E industry leaders. And what steps are they taking to prepare employees to return to the office that we haven't heard from Mike and Craig yet? Well, one of the things that I'm seeing pretty much across the board is that companies are surveying their employees to try to get uh, a feeling for what the employees are thinking, how they're feeling about working at home versus coming back, uh, any concerns about coming back to the office, do they feel more or less productive working at home or at the office. I'm just trying to get a feeling for what the future might even look like in terms of um, trying to make those plans. Uh, it's interesting because they're seeing we're seeing a, a wide diversity of responses depending on where the firm is you know located where their offices are um, and they're trying to kind of categorize their employees into categories of people who really want to be back in the office full-time those that want to stay home full-time because of either health issues or maybe they live with a healthcare worker they live with a, a, a compromised person um, and then those people who have kind of want a hybrid arrangement and there's quite a large percentage that want that. So they're trying to figure out how to outfit the office for that uh, kind of possibility, which um, I know we're going to talk about that a lot. Um, and then also putting protocols in place for controlling, you know, if you don't feel well, what should you do? Um, if you've been exposed to somebody who's uh, infected, what is the protocol for that? And if you end up coming into the office around people, how are we gonna handle that if you later find out that you were potentially um, exposed to somebody and just trying to figure out all those logistics and, and protocols for how to handle different scenarios that might come up. Great. We will jump um, a little bit later to uh, what your 
employees feedback has been to you all as leaders about their willingness to go back to the office. But before we do that, I want to talk a little bit about our office facilities, uh, our actual office building facilities. Um, we've been away from those offices for several weeks, and I assume that it poses some sort of a challenge to go re-enter back into those buildings. So Craig, as a leader in your firm, what do you need to do to ensure that those office facilities are safe to return to after such a long time away? Well, the first thing we did starting back in March, uh, when, when the orders came out that we had to shelter at home, uh, we did instruct our, our cleaning service uh, that when they came in to increase their cleaning and disinfecting practices, uh, paying particular attention to high touch areas uh, because we do have some employees that are still in the office. Uh, we still have to pay the bills. We still have to get the money in and, uh, but they're very, very skeleton. And then I mentioned we issued the uh, guidelines to reopening the offices and um, we had, we address a lot in that document, but some of the highlights would be um, our social and physical distancing plan within the offices. So some of the physical workspaces may need to be modified, uh, limiting in-person interactions. So meetings, um, a number of people at that meeting, where's the meeting located, th those types of issues. Um, we issue the use of uh, personal protective equipment and also procuring items ahead of time, like hand sanitizer, disinfecting products for each office so that when people return, uh, they're armed and they have the, the necessary supplies to stay safe. Uh, we also frequently clean and will be cleaning and disinfecting the high touch areas uh, in addition to what our uh, cleaning people do. Uh, there'll be training of the employees on social distancing policies and other safety protocols. Uh, we'll have, like you see in most any place that you go to, uh, physical markings to keep that awareness of staying socially distant from each other. Um, we want to make sure that the employees are practicing safe daily habits. Uh, and we're going to continue to uh, allow telework as appropriate. Uh, the second document, uh, the instructions that will be sent out to all employees, will open with um, a section that is what you need to know. So it's basically educating the employee before they show up what to expect. Uh, provide policies that each employee will need to adhere to. Um, and we're, we're also planning a, a slower return or a phased return um, to the offices. And it's going to be based on location, office location, and labor class. We want to ensure a, a smooth transition back into the office. And we don't want to overwhelm any individual department, such as uh, our IT department or the human resources department. Excellent. Sounds like a lot of prep work to, needed for the facilities, the actual facilities uh, to get back, combined with a lot of employee uh, education and then resources that you're providing. June, have you heard what other geoprofessional firms are doing to safely reopen their actual office facilities um, after being vacant for nearly two months or more? Yeah, so I know that many companies are getting uh, instructions from their property management companies, from their insurance companies, uh, even their lawyers. 
and HR professionals. So there's a lot of input that is needed um, to figure out, you know, you obviously want to re, you know, minimize any kind of liability if somebody gets sick in your office. Um, I know that one thing that a lot of firms are doing is putting one person in charge of the entire reopening process to make sure that there's kind of a, a chief in charge. And in some larger firms, it's a, that's a big job. Um, and it could actually be a committee. Um, they are looking at it, many of them are looking at it from the standpoint of how does this need to work in the future going forward? What if we have waves in the fall? Uh, what if this goes on for a long time? So trying to figure out not just a initial reopening strategy, but you know, how do we prepare the, the, our sites for the long term? Some of my clients have already installed um, electronic temperature scanners, non-touch temperature scanners. So when you walk in in the morning, you have to have your temperature taken. They've been reconfiguring their space to get people further apart, um, limiting personal items that can be uh, available at people's desks because it makes cleaning more difficult. I have uh, one firm that was telling me they just reinstalled all new sinks and toilets in their restrooms, and they have a lot of offices, and they installed new sinks and toilets in every restroom in every office, uh, non-touch, you know, type of uh, uh, plumbing. <laughs> um, and some of them have also been looking at the air quality. Uh, and, and another thing that I've heard a lot about is limiting meetings. So it's not just kind of going back to normal in the office, the amount of meetings and how large the meetings can be and are we allowing people from outside the office to come in, those kind of things are all being addressed. Interesting. Boy, what a challenge to replace uh, facilities, uh, toilets and sinks in the bathroom of offices around just to avoid those touch points. I hadn't heard that before, but that, uh, that might be something that we all consider in the future. Mike, uh, what is Terracon doing, if anything additional, um, in regards to your actual office facilities to get ready for these reopenings? Yeah, so a lot of what Craig and June talked about, um, like Craig mentioned, you know, really, we've had people in the building, you know, skeleton crews, as I mentioned, and, and even in areas with pretty strict shelter in place laws, they do allow for minimum basic operations to take place. And and, you know, and, you know, there's been certainly work performed, um, you know, under the, the critical uh, infrastructure exemptions and some of these other things. But so it's not so much about, you know, being dormant and then opening from our perspective as much as it is just preparing to have more people there than are there now. And as, as June mentioned, it's a pretty complicated process and it's very uh, location specific because I'm sure none of our firms have the exact same floor plans and, and exact same lease configured spaces and that kind of stuff. So we've had to, you know, each office has, ha has to come up with its own approach to how they're going to look at these things. And we ask them to, where are people, where's the risk of people congregating? And so let's address, you know, so we're not just gonna open the break rooms for people to sit and come and have lunch like they did before. You know, it's going to be very limited, um, you know, maybe to get your water and your coffee and you clean your clean it when you're done, those types of things. And then you, you get out sort of 
Um, and then as June mentioned, restrooms are certainly a higher risk area. So you have to have a plan, you know, do you limit the amount of people that can be in there? You know, those types of things, but each, each branch has to come, has to look at their setup, kind of assess where their risk areas and come up with a plan for how they're going to address all of those things within their specific location. And like June mentioned, certainly, I think like probably many of our firms are doing, we have, um, temperature taking if you're going to go into the building um, you know we have an app that we created for people to sign in and out when they come into the facility and when they leave the facility so we can see for contact tracing purposes whether they you know if we did god forbid have a risk of an infection we would be able to do better contact tracing if you will so those are the types of things that we've had to implement um, you know to prepare for more people to come into the building but as Craig mentioned, we're, we're taking a very deliberate pace with that. And, you know, I've been using the term on our internal calls. We're not a Walmart opening on Black Friday and just letting the crowds run in, so to speak. You know, we're really uh, assessing kind of each individual role and person that might come into the office and really getting into the why as to whether they really need to be in there or not. Because, uh, again, we just view this as less people means more safe. And that's how we're approaching it. Yeah, great. Well, so much of the, what you've already alluded to is the importance of connecting with our employees. And now that they've been working from home for a couple of months, um, you know, what their comfort level is to come back to the office or their comfort level of working from home. June, what are you hearing in the industry about employees' desire to go back to the office and work in that office environment? Yeah, it's been really interesting, um, a wide diversity of responses that I'm seeing from different clients in different parts of the, of the country. Um, one thing I will say is almost every leader I have talked to, whether it's a tiny little firm, mid-sized firm, huge firm, the one thing they've all said to me is working at home has been a huge success. Uh, employee productivity has been, in some cases, higher than normal. Um, they're actually worried about employees burning out on it because uh, I think employees are in some cases working longer. And I can testify to that because I've worked at home for 30 years. And when you work at home, you're always at work. So um, sometimes it's even hard to break away from work. Um, but it really does differ. I've, I've seen some surveys come back where 80% of the people wanted to stay at home. They didn't want to come back at all to the office. I've seen some that are kind of a third, a third, a third, a third didn't want to come back or had a reason not to come back, maybe because of childcare issues or health concerns. Uh, if you have older workers, you know, does it make sense to even bring them back at all? Um, and then a third who are hybrid and the issue, the biggest issue with that is equipment and computer equipment. And, you know, how do you, how do you deal with somebody who needs more powerful equipment? They can't, and screens, they can't just keep bringing that stuff back and forth all, all week. So you might have to purchase more uh, computer equipment in order to, to be able to do that. And then you have another group that just does not want to work at home. Um, I was talking to one firm leader, I think they were about a hundred person engineering firm uh, last week. And he said he didn't want to go back. He was the CEO of the company he goes, I'm really liking this. <laughs> uh, you know, he didn't want to go back. Um, and then I've talked to others that are like, no, we are going to have 90% of our people back in the office within a few months. That's our goal. 
So it really varies depending on the firm, the culture of the firm, that type of thing. Great. Which makes it important to get feedback from uh, your employees about their feelings about going back to work. And so, Craig, how are you getting input from your employees? And does June's information match up with what you're hearing from your employees? You know, for the most part, it does. It, it's really a mixed bag, and it depends upon the individual. It depends on the individual's, you know, per personal circumstances. Uh, they could be um, just, in, again, in those high-risk categories, and they, they don't want to come back too quickly uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, some have the dependent care issues, um, and then you always have the, the what if somebody was exposed uh, and can't come back. Um, and so you have um, all of these different issues to deal with. But I would say that um, the majority of the employees that we've talked to seem to be um, actually anxious to get back to work. Uh, they want that sense of routine, of normalcy, of social engagement. Um, the long-term effects of COVID-19, I think, is still unknown. Um, but it has made ongoing contingency planning in all areas of our business to become a priority and part of the ongoing discussions and our strategic planning. Great. So Mike, with uh, thousands of employees, uh, how are you sure. getting feedback from your employees and how are they responding to your reopening plans? So certainly we've had to lean very heavily on asking our leaders and supervisors, you know, at all levels to really connect with their employees at a time where, at least in theory, when we went into this, we weren't sure how easily that could be done. I think what we found, and similar to, uh, I think June was alluding to, is that actually one of the things that we've learned is that it's actually, you can pretty effectively connect with people through virtual, you know, through just, through this process, even though you're not face-to-face. -face. So we really encouraged and asked our leaders to have, you know, regular direct connections of different types, you know, um, job site connections in terms of checking in on project work and that kind of stuff, but also personal connections and just how are you doing and even, you know, virtual happy hours and all of those types of things to try to uh, create and maintain that connection with our employees but across, you know, our 5,000 employee workforce and 150 offices, what we've really just leaned into is over communicating, if you will. So we've had, I've led town hall discussions and, and open form just calls with, you know, 100 plus office managers. You know, I probably have had one about every 10 days as the different topics would come up and you just wanted to be transparent and open about, you know, what our protocols were, you know, obviously at the very front end of this, there was a lot of what I call the whack-a-mole plane of this, right, where these things would come up and, you know, hopefully you had scenario planned them in advance so you had good answers uh, before they happened, but, but occasionally, you know, things would think, come up where you didn't think about it, but we'd always try to get in front of our, our branch level leadership, you know, office and department managers, and just tell them, you know, this is what you might see. We've got a plan to handle this. This is how we're going to approach it. And like I said, about every 10 days, we'd have a call like this. And then even up until this month, 
you know, I've been having calls with each of our divisions with all of the office representatives just on the kind of the, the challenges we're going to talk about in a minute on these calls about the world we're living in now and how to maintain COVID safety. So just continuous open communication um, both ways, right? Not just me dictating stuff to them. That's been what we've tried to do to um, communicate these, you know, the various aspects of what we're trying to do. Yeah, so communication is really important is what I'm hearing. And it's a two-way communication because we need what we want to get those feedback from employees. Um, and uh, in our chat discussion, Laura said that her daughter's company pulled them and the concern that she had about safety was a communal elevator. Something that we all might have in some of our in our offices is elevators and and um, and now there's a plan to address that. So um, appreciate those comments. And uh, again, a lot of communication with our employees both directions is going to be critical as we start to reopen here. Um, we've touched on this a little bit also and um, with companies, especially that have multiple offices, in some cases, multiple states uh, included in those offices, um, poses a, a real challenge as different states have different schedules for reopening and relaxing and, and the different stages that, uh, that are kicking in. So Mike, you, that must be a real challenge for your firm with offices across the US and how do you come up with a company-wide plan where there's so many different approaches potentially for reopening? Yeah, Joel, I got to tell you, that was one of just trying to, you know, figure out how to try to take that on when you're just looking at it in terms of, you know, how, you know, how do we try to coordinate all of these, you know, 40-some states and, you know, hundreds of different municipalities uh, and it was really daunting when you looked at it from that perspective. But really what unlocked it for us was when we figured out that, well, wait a minute, that's not the way to look at this. The way to look at this is what do we think safe is in our locations? And if you, when, once we approached it from that vantage point, then it, I wouldn't say it became easy, but at least it became, to, the process became understandable about, you know, well, what do we think the right way to handle you know, temperature taking, to handle mask wearing, to all that. What do we think the answers for all of those things are? Um, and if you let the kind of your care and concern for your employees and a compass of safety to be your guide, then we were comfortable that what we came up with would more than meet and exceed whatever governmental body was telling us to do. So of course, you have to comply with that, right? So that's the second part of the analysis is just to make sure what we're, what we are, proposing to our offices or putting out as a plan works in their community, in their state. But we found, we expected to find, and we certainly found that we've really had no issues basically having our plan kind of apply in different places. There's little details on an isolated basis, just silly examples like the state, the CDC and everybody else says 100.4 degrees, right? The state of Texas decided it needed to be 100.0 degrees. So just things like that about when you do your temperature taking in Texas, it has to be 100.0, not 100.4. But that's really, you know, very much a, the end of the process, not the beginning of the process. And once we, we looked at it from that perspective, 
um, we were very confident with that what we were going to propose to our people would meet or exceed all of those the things that we were running run with there run into there and are you relying on your local leaders to match up with what your company policies are versus what some of those local requirements are as you discussed in texas or are you trying to monitor that yourself so we actually had somebody that was a big challenge um, we actually within my department took on the challenge of trying to read and understand all of the state and local rules that we were operating under and so we had done that in the shelter in place uh, situation when the shelter in place rules started to drop we took that on and we kind of kept that when the when the reopening plans would take place so we already kind of had a cadence of communication that the local officers would send in their rules you know or or we would see them you know through other publications and and uh kind of a combination of those things. We wouldn't ask solely an office to be in charge of that, uh, but certainly their collaboration in that process was very important. Yeah. It, it was a lot of work for an individual during that period of time, I'll tell you that. Yeah. Craig, you mentioned you had seven counties in California with offices. Um, are you having similar challenges with different requirements or are they pretty consistent? Well, again, you know, in terms of reopening company-wide, um, we had elected to use the latest expiration date um, of the local shelter and home. And for us, that happened to be the County of Los Angeles, which was May 31st. However, recently, the governor of California came out with an executive order that affects workers' compensation coverage, whereby if once you've returned to work, if you contract the coronavirus within a certain amount of time, uh, and they, ex they extended that through July 4th or 5th, I believe, that that bec could become a workers' comp claim. And that was pretty big for us, uh, given how far reaching that might be. So we, we actually are considering pushing back the return to work to July 6th. Um, however, we are also still allowing the local managing principals to use their discretion to phase in employees as they feel uh, need to report sooner than that because of the, say, the scope of duties or productivity issues. Uh, and this is all being done under the oversight and coordination of the HR department and our legal department. Excellent. And June, uh, you're having weekly roundtables with leaders. Uh, how are they dealing with different opening plans, different uh, requirements across different states and cities? Yeah, just like Craig said, uh, many of my clients are adopting the most stringent policies uh, or the policies of the most stringent state because it's too hard to manage. Uh, you have a client that has 12 offices in 12 different states. They just couldn't keep up with, with all of the rapidly changing rules, regulations, and, and requirements. So they're basically trying to just monitor the most stringent um, as their minimum requirements. Uh, I, it's interesting. I've, I've talked to a, several firms that have global offices, and I think that's given them a little bit of an advantage in being able to see how other countries have been doing this. Um, they've been able, because some of them have already opened up many weeks ago, and they've been able to see what's happened. 
and that's given them um, the ability to maybe anticipate some things that they hadn't originally uh, thought or, or thought about. Um, and the other thing is that's interesting is I'm seeing a lot of different tolerance in leaders for what they're willing to accept. Some are like overly compassionate and saying, uh, whatever the employees want is fine. Um, we're just gonna leave it up to the individual. And other, others that I've talked to are saying, no, I, I talked to someone last week who said, no, I, I want at least 90% back in my office, you know, in the next month or two. So there's very, very different approaches. I think it really depends, um, depends on the firm and, and what they see as, as the most important priority. Yeah. And culture. I think you mentioned yes. culture there too. Yeah. Is uh, yeah, the culture of the company comes through in this issue as with many other issues, especially during crisis. Recognizing the audience today is mostly leaders of geoprofessional businesses, both large and small, from across all of North America. Uh, Craig, what changes do you see in the office environment long term past COVID nineteen that may change what you and other geoprofessional firms do in the future? I think that a lot of companies are going to really look at um, you know, possibly smaller office spaces um, or redesigned office layouts. I think that there's going to be um, accelerated advances in technology. Uh, I think that there will be an accelerated pace for being paperless obviously working at home and having the conveniences of copiers and, and all of that, people are, are kind of being forced to work on their monitors and, and in the digital world. I think there's going to be a heightened awareness of cleanliness. Uh, we're actually looking at moving away from um, all desktop PCs and only using laptops, uh, literally, literally for all staff. Um, this would as we, as we go through and, and we assess our, uh, our hardware, and we wanna move into an IT world that is easily transportable. Uh, it includes the needed hardware such as cameras, microphones, headsets. Um, we also don't want to rely too heavily on the current pandemic as a metric as to whether all positions or personnel can be efficient and productive at home. Because unusual situations where employees working from home don't have the typical distractions due to a shelter at home order. Um, we may have opened the discussion on a larger scale of allowing for telework options uh, to the right employee and, and in the right position. I'm thinking ahead, it may be prudent and potentially uh, move to the majority of our workforce back to teleworking during the flu season. Also, since select employees will continue to telework uh, as mentioned before, we'll be looking to um, procure additional IT hardware, uh, as I mentioned, cameras, headsets, et cetera, for a better virtual experience. Um, it has and will continue the need for training and the creation of policies on proper use of virtual platforms such as Zoom or Teams and others. Yeah. A lot, of, a lot of changes post this pandemic. Mike, what are some of the long-term changes challenge that, uh, to the work environment do you see when this is all over? Yeah, I, I, I would agree with a lot of what Craig said. Um, 
I think without question, right, this, this is going to change the way our industry looks at a certain aspects of what we used to do historically, you know, especially the work from home um, situation. I think, you know, it's, it's not an area where I think as an industry, we were terribly advanced at, let's put it that way. And I think certainly this has helped dramatically in with people that would might have been very difficult to change their minds about that this can be done effectively. Um, the other thing I think in terms of just how we communicate with our employees, with our clients, you know, just the, the effectiveness of virtual communication, I think is going to have an impact. Um, and, and, you know, and that'll be even create more efficiencies and where we used to drive maybe two hours to visit a client two hours away. You know, I think everybody now sees you can do a lot of that stuff effectively, you know, in a more efficient way. And I think there'll be more of that kind of stuff. Um, but I, I think there's probably going to be a bit of a knee jerk reaction, like things are going to, you know, it's never, it's going to be all this or that. And I think just to, to check that a little bit, you know, there's still a lot of value in in-person communication and connection. So I, I think that how you figure that stuff out with the recollection that these tools work and that work from home works is going to be something that we'll have to figure out as we normalize kind of between the old world and what this, this COVID world was. Um, the other thing that, that I would say is that I wonder if we're going to see some of these COVID job site safety aspects become, you know, permanent, if you will, and even maybe regulatory requirements from groups like OSHA, you know, just for fear of future pandemics or those types of things. So I just wonder if you're going to start to see requirements for things that are, are required now because of COVID through health department orders or those kinds of things. I just wonder if we're going to see more job site and office requirements for, for virus safety, if you will, um, that weren't currently in place pre-COVID. So I think that's also something that we might see. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Um, changes to OSHA regulations, both in the office and in the field, and it may, may be the new norm that people's temperatures are taken on every job site they go into. Maybe that's an extreme, but uh, some of these other things that are in place for COVID may become the norm for us going forward. So it's gonna be important for all of us to stay on top of those regulations post COVID. Um, June, what do you think the office of the future looks like and how it might it impact uh, how our leaders are looking at office leases, for example? Yeah, probably the majority of firms that I'm, the leaders I'm talking to um, are planning to cut back their space. Um, if they have smaller offices and only have a few people in them, they're often, uh, many of them are gonna uh, not renew their leases. Um, I've heard of the idea of having your office be more like a, what they, I've heard the term command center which is, you know, we go there to meet once in a while, we go there to um, have a meeting or to check, you know, work as a team on something, but it's not where we work all the time. Um, one firm I was speaking with last week said that uh, they had just renewed all their leases because they were able to get such a good deal because uh, their um, uh, owner of the building, I guess was a, or buildings, they had multiple, was, uh, worried about losing that uh, and having vacancy. Um, 
And I actually just like to pose that I think it's a huge opportunity for the a and &E industry as a whole, that all of this, if there is a lot of empty space coming out of all of this, the owners are going to be desperate to do something with it that's going to generate revenue. And that I think the right creativity can present some opportunities in terms of uh, services to, to address this. Yeah, that's a really good point, June. Uh, and we are the problem solvers. And so we might be part of that conversation going forward to what to do with all these empty office buildings. Thank you for making that point. Craig, um, are you looking at office leases right now or what are you doing thinking about post COVID for your firm? We've, we've always been pretty, uh, pretty good at negotiating uh, pretty good lease leases with uh, uh, landlords. Um, and we always try to get maybe shorter leases. I think that under the current situation that might become a little bit easier to do that. Um, but always the, um, I think moving forward, the potential to downsize, I think now will become a bigger part of our negotiation equation. Uh, we still have labs, you know, we still have um, certain things that we, that we just have to do to operate. Uh, and we, we don't want to get into getting so small that we have to share space um, and stagger schedules because then, then you've kind of recommitted to the possibility of cross-contamination of employees. Uh, and it's expensive to go in and sanitize a room so that somebody else can come in and use it. So there, there's just a lot of things to consider uh, before you get too small or, or close an office because the people have to go somewhere uh, to work. You you know, at least the way we're set up right now with technology, we can only do so much uh, out of the office. We've made steps to make that easier with uh, going to virtual cloud computing, uh, cloud resources, uh, having uh, Microsoft Enterprise on our computers so that we have our resources available to us as long as we have internet connection. So, you know, we're pushing that as far as we can, but we're, again, we're trying to be careful not to jeopardize um, efficiency uh, in, our, in our work product as, as a re result of just having smaller space. Yeah, good point. So an issue that we've seen on the news frequently is that retailers are having to deal with uh, customers that are, are not adhering to their requests for um, safety and, and health, maintaining health. And this might be the trickiest question of the day for our panel. Uh, Mike, how do you continue to emphasize COVID safe behavior with your workforce when they may be seeing different behaviors in their communities and job sites and when they themselves might have varying views on this topic? Yeah, Joel, I think this is the key leadership challenge that our firms are facing right now. And frankly, it's been something top of mind for, for our company and our task force for the last couple of weeks. Um, we're in this weird time, right, where we're advocating a behavior for our folks, you know, of social distancing and mask wearing and those types of things. And they go outside um, and, you know, in their communities, they may see people not doing those kinds of things. You may get a call from a client tomorrow. We've had this happen recently. Clients call up and say, let's go grab a cup of coffee and in their mind, this isn't you sit at this table outside over here and I'll sit over here and we'll talk. It's kind of a back to normal thing. And so 
you know, how do we talk to our folks about continuing to be safe um, in a world that may not be, and as Joel mentioned, and you have maybe degrees of where people are even in their own mind from an employee or client standpoint on these things. So we've really tried to lean into this. And like I mentioned, we've had, uh, we've been going around and doing these town hall with all of our branches, just emphasizing the continued importance of this and the leadership challenge about this. You know, as a company, we don't shy away from um, talking about what we think safe behavior is. And I think that DNA helps us in this process because it, you know, they're used to us kind of talking to them about how to be safe at home. So we're able to have these same discussions about being COVID safe at home in their communities. And in this situation, right, it's even more, more important because, you know, it's, you know, I'm not discounting what an injury to a person is, but if I, you know, cut my hand at home, you know, that's my hand that's being cut. But when you're talking about COVID, you know, the safety precautions that we're doing don't just protect me, they protect my family and my community. And they go back even to our coworkers because my behavior at home and in the community is as much of a risk factor of what I might expose a coworker or someone on the job site to as what I do at Terracon. So those are the conversations that we have tried to emphasize and encourage our leaders to have with our folks. Um, and certainly to think about how to approach clients proactively so that when they want to get together face-to-face, -to -face, we're doing it in outdoor venues with, with social distancing. You know, if we initiate that conversation, we're in control of those things rather than just sitting back and waiting for a client to call and having to have an awkward interaction about, well, I'm not that comfortable with how you're setting this up and those types of things. So that's a priority for us right now is to try to, again, continue to keep that out in front of our people and to, again, ask them to continue to be safe even in this world where others might not be following suit. Yeah, a big challenge. And I'm, I'm glad that uh, you, that you are thinking about this. And uh, I think it's something that leaders of all firms are going to have to think about very seriously. And, and as you said, lean into this discussion um, because um, it, it's, it's, getting, it's getting harder, especially with uh, um, different communities feeling differently about reopening. Um, I, there's a lot more that we could learn from these leaders. And I see a few questions from our uh, audience today that I'd like to ask. Uh, before I start to ask those questions, though, I'd like to end the formal questions with a perspective of hope. And I'd like each panelist for their response to this fill in the blank question. June, how would you fill in the blank? The big silver lining in all of this is blank. Um, I personally think it's just having some quiet time alone with your family for the last couple months. Um, I think people work so much in this country. Most people only take a week vacation a year or sometimes two. I, I hear leaders all the time telling me they can't get their employees to take their vacation time. And this has kind of forced everyone to step back, readdress priorities, uh, reassess, you know, even, um, you know, what's really important in your personal life and your business life. So I, I think that's really the beauty of it all is just having uh, this time to spend with loved ones and, and just uh, get reconnected.
Yeah, that's, thank you. Mike, how would you fill in the blank? The big silver lining in all of this is what? So I actually really like June's answer because I have two, two of my three children. One is the graduating senior in high school and I've one in her early twenties and both of them will be leaving the nest pretty soon. So I've tried to take that mindset as well, just in terms of, uh, you know, silver linings. But what I thought with this, what I really think I'll kind of bring it back to the, to the firm perspective. I really think this, this has given all of our firms the opportunity to prove to our employees and our clients what our values really are, what we really are as people and as a company and what we stand for. You know, we talk about those things a lot, right? And they're in all, you know, we have a lot of good branding, a lot of good, those types of things. But this crisis has really forced all of us to, you know, to prove what we stand for in, with, in how we've dealt with our employees through these challenges and how we've continued to service our clients through, again, some of these challenges that we're facing and how, we're able, how we are uh, effectively or ineffectively connecting with all of them. They're going to remember all of this, I believe, when it's all said and done. And I think the silver lining from this, from a positive standpoint, is if you're, if you're living the values that you believe in and they're good values, I think, you know, we're going to come out stronger from this. We're going to have better, deeper relationships with our people, with our, with our clients, all of those things. And I, I think that's a big silver lining from this process. Yeah, agreed. Craig, how would you fill in the blank? The big silver lining in all of this is blank. I would say relationships. And it kind of touches on a lot of what uh, June and Mike said. It's, it's allowed individuals to maybe adjust their focus um, to reevaluate what is, you know, their perspective, not only um, on work, but in their, in their personal lives. And hopefully it has given people a, a new appreciation uh, for the relationships that they have. All you have to do is spend 15 minutes on Facebook and you'll see the, what's going on around the world with how it's brought people together and how families have come together and their videos may be goofy, but they're together. And I, and I think that it has the ability to really strengthen uh, relationships. And, and I hope that we take that moving forward uh, and don't slip back into our old ways of doing things. Yeah. Wonderful. We have some questions from the audience. Um, Art asks, um, he'd really like to hear from you all how you're handling travel, uh, business travel and personal travel for your employees. Uh, Mike, you have ideas on travel for your employees? Yeah, I just actually just typed in, but yeah, um, we still believe that travel is, you know, certainly a high risk area and we will, we scrutinize heavily project related travel. So uh, the first approach is to try to be innovative and see if there's a way to do it in a different way. But if you do have to travel, um, you have to create a specific plan and a very high level manager in the company has to sign off that that travel is both a necessary and B being planned, you know, in as safe as manner as possible. And we still are not allowing any type of internal travel for internal meetings, those types of stuff. We feel like all of that can be done. 
remotely um, in our current setting. Do you have a deadline for that? No, I mean, because the, the risk doesn't really have a timetable <laughs> that it has shown us. So uh, I don't think that's the kind of thing that you can say on June 1st, we're gonna start doing this kind of stuff um, as it relates to the, you know, those types of things. Yeah. So Craig, another question, uh, although it appears you're sitting in a conference room right now, I know that that's a, a green screen behind you. So what are you thinking about with your conference rooms going forward uh, as people are coming back to the offices? Well, we're, some of that we're still trying to work out. Um, obviously, if you're all in one office, if you've got maybe two or three people and if your conference room is large enough and um, can accommodate safe practices, but again, it's it's to limit the uh, the number of people that you get to, that you bring together into one room, and uh, you know if we did it at home, we could do it in the office. There's no reason why we can't all jump on a on a Teams call and do the same thing that we would do face to face. So there is there is definitely benefit face to face, but I think that what we've learned in the last two and a half months is we can get um, as much accomplished. Uh, virtually as we can face-to-face. -face. Thank you. June, have you any other input on uh, conference rooms that you're hearing from leaders around the country? Well, pretty much what, what Mike and Craig said, I think, and with this, also with the travel, I just think companies are not thinking about any travel for the rest of the year. I think it's, I think it's just a, something that's, um, it's gone this year. That, that's just been the feedback that I've been getting from people. I, I would like to add to that um, as far as a job site that might be so far away that it would warrant an overnight. So we've, when, we, when we have that type of a situation, we'll actually partner with another geotech firm and, and have them cover the work for us if, if it's, say, in their backyard. So there are some other creative ways that we can get the job covered and still service the client. Yeah, one of the benefits of being a GBA member is that we're all familiar with the same risk management and business optimization uh, protocols. And Craig, I assume when you're looking for other geoprofessional firms to help you out in those situations that the GBA directory uh, is a good source to find partners to, to help you with field work that might otherwise require uh, overnight travel. Definitely. Well, uh, thank you very much. This uh, is the end of our time. I'd like to take the opportunity to thank Craig Hill, June Jewell, and Michael Yost for joining us today. I'd like to also thank their firms, their systems, AEC Business Solutions and Terracon for their support to let, the, let our panelists uh, participate today. Um, we're very fortunate to have your support in all of this. My silver lining in, in this whole thing is the support that we're getting from our members through volunteer efforts and for all of you to attend these town hall meetings. Uh, your support emphasizes GBA core values. When we work together, we can lead through crisis, we can manage risk, and we can elevate our profession. It's an honorable profession and it's essential to the recovery from the impacts of the coronavirus pandemic. May you all have a safe and healthy Memorial Day weekend. It was great to see your faces and thank you for attending.
If you enjoyed this episode, please visit geoprofessional.org for more information and member resources.